Welcome to episode 100 of Empower Apps. I'm really glad to be here today to talk to you about the history of this podcast, where things are, uh, how they got here. We'll talk about some of the popular topics that folks have been really interested in, some of the folks' favorite episodes. Um, but let's first get started. I want to tell you about how I started this podcast and how it ended up here. So, um, I had started OK Productive uh, with Eric about three years ago. So we're actually almost at three year anniversary as well as the 100th episode. And um, I really wanted to always get into podcasts. I love podcasts. So my favorite podcasts were developer uh, focused. And so I figured like now that I've done this other podcast on personal productivity with Eric, uh, I wanted to do something more centered around what I do for a living and what um, I'm really passionate about, and that's development in the Apple space. I think there's a lot of really great podcasts out there um, for folks like us, um, but I wanted something a little bit more uh, higher level, uh, more focused towards CTOs and managers. I think I try to do that sometimes, but I love talking about coding and the more intricate stuff, the more technical stuff. Um, but oftentimes I think I try to steer closer to a more higher level stuff because I think there's a lot of great technical podcasts out there. And, um, I think that I hopefully have gone down that track. And so I brought a good friend on, uh, Teresa, who I helped me with some of my business stuff. And we, uh, came up with the idea for Empower Apps where it's more focused on the CTO and manager side of things, um, patterns, practices, something that isn't too technical. Now, I think on occasion I've gotten really technical because I enjoy talking about that stuff, but I think it, we there's an audience out there for managers and CTOs for more higher level um, thinking on that, that kind of material. Um, so at first, uh, the first few episodes, Teresa, who has very little knowledge in the Apple space, interviewed me, and I think that was really helpful to have somebody with that kind of lack of knowledge to have more of that higher level view. And that worked out really well. Um, she had to move on to do some other things. And then Eric, my co-host from OK Productive, came on and interviewed um, me in a couple of episodes. I actually kind of had him as a guest, especially in that back-end episode that was really uh, I really enjoyed doing. Um, but then uh, I had met James Zuber at MicroConf, and um, I figured he would be a really good guest to have on. Um, and then he was kind of the first guest. And from there, we've pretty much done um, mostly episodes with guests that I've found um, on social media or colleagues that I've worked with. Um, and that's worked out really well. Hey, Leo, I was wondering, since the early part of your show, you're the one being interviewed, and then you kind of switch over to being the interview interviewer. What was that like? Did you have to kind of adjust your mindset or gain some new skills when you switched your format. Okay, so that's that's my wife, Betsy. Hi, Betsy. Hi. Um, so she had a question about switching the format from being interviewed to interviewing other folks. So, um, yeah, how did that change the format? Was that your question? Yeah, what's the experience of going from being the one interviewed to being the interviewer? Did you have to, you know, adjust your mindset or, you know, take a different approach? kind of flipping your role like that. Yeah, so, well, let's get into how I put together an episode, and then maybe that answers your question. Okay. 
So I think now is probably a good time to start talking about how I make a typical episode, what's the process, and specifically, I want to talk about a couple of lessons that I learned in the making of OK Productive and Empower Apps that helped me, and I think will help a lot of developers out there if they want to get into podcasting or start any sort of project uh, outside of that. The first big lesson that I learned was not trying to be too much of an IT guy. When I first started OK Productive, I had set up uh, a WordPress site and I just uploaded the files to S3 on Amazon. And I didn't get any special like service or anything to go ahead and um, really specialize in podcast hosting. And this ended up being... Um, I think it was fine when I first started off because I had no idea how long that show or any of these shows are going to last. Um, but once they got pretty far, I started running into all sorts of WordPress issues. Like I didn't do a good job maintaining the site as a WordPress site and not keeping it updated and things like that. So it eventually uh, got hacked. Luckily, I had a backup. But um, it really taught me a lesson that um, I need to find a specific host for my podcast and so that's when I switched over to uh, Transistor. I met Justin Jackson, one of the founders at MicroConf, and he strongly encouraged me to get off of my own hacked up hosting service um, and uh, ended up going with Transistor. And they've been fantastic. I'm not just like trying to plug them. Uh, I think they're one of the best. But if you do decide to start something like, let's say, a podcast, just get somebody, get some sort of special podcast host that specializes in that. And then also, um, you know, if you're doing something else, don't like don't hack up your own thing. Use a service that does that. At least once you feel like you're doing something professional and really going to maintain it for a while, uh, that's really something to strongly consider. So if I have any advice, if you're going to take on any long-term project, uh, don't try to be the IT guy. Um, you know, find out what's the value you're really providing and focus on that. And then, you know, think about either getting friends from help from colleagues or friends or outsourcing or finding a service out there that'll do it for you. Um, like, for instance, by May of 2019, I pretty much was so busy with contract work, I ended up finding a really great service, Podcast Edition, who um, the folks there, like Julian, have been fantastic at editing the show and maintaining a really good quality. And it's just, it's a better use of my time uh, to, to find someone to help out with that. Um, I can't say enough good things about them. So if there's any tip I have, lesson I want to teach you is uh if you're going to start a new project that you're going to maintain long term don't unless it's a service or value that you intend to provide uh be willing to to pay someone to help you with it when eric and i first started okay productive we're already uh pretty much planning type people um, but we also learned pretty early on that it isn't just planning, but making sure we have enough content for an episode. Uh, we quickly got into typing really detailed notes, uh, talking points. You can ask any of my guests about that. But um, one of the things I try to do is make sure that in any episode, I don't forget to mention something because that's happened to me before. So like those talking points, Google Docs are really important for making sure I don't forget to mention anything and I don't forget to put anything in the uh, Google Doc. The other thing is making sure that uh, I plan out 
like episodes. Um, we'll get into that in a little bit, but also trying to be flexible with your guests when things come up and happen. Um, I try to buffer enough time for recording issues or any mistakes that we need to deal with and making sure those are uh, taken care of correctly. So if there's uh, the other piece of advice I want to give you is plan, 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 but be flexible as well. Now that I've got those lessons out of the way, uh, let me, let's get into how I plan an episode, plan out the schedule and different topics that come up. Um, one thing about this show being centered around Apple technology is that I uh, plan pretty much a lot of the stuff around the Apple calendar. Um, so we know how that goes it's pretty much like March, April, maybe May, as late as May, we'll get like an event there where we're revealed probably a new iPad, maybe some services stuff, and maybe a Mac. Um, so I might mention, like, iPad development for an iPad app specifically, or getting the right rig for your development environment. Uh, I might even sneak in a server-side Swift uh, episode there, even though it really doesn't have any relation to Apple's uh, services. As far as the most important event of the year, that would be June, obviously, with uh, WWDC for those of us who are developers. So that's that probably is the busiest time and most challenging time for me because I have to come up with the topics I kind of have to have, like predict the topics beforehand, but at the same time have to be open to whatever topics become a big deal uh, for that year. So we had, you know, D Swift UI was a big deal uh, two years ago. And so I try to bring in guests uh, like Jason Anderson uh, to talk about uh, Swift UI and reactive functional programming. You know, I try to schedule those right away. So last year, Apple Silicon was a big deal. So I wanted to talk a bit about Mac development. I brought on uh, Lucas Dara to talk for a couple episodes about that because I'm passionate about that as well. And then, of course, we have uh, the iPhone or iPad or Mac, so Mac events that might come in the fall any time between like September and November. So that I don't feel like I need to strict, strictly schedule around because sometimes that hardware doesn't really affect those of us that are developers, but it also might be a good opportunity to talk about like billing an iPhone app for different models or some of the new technology that is in a uh, new Apple Watch, for instance. And then, of course, there's year-end and the beginning of the year, which are good times to either talk about wish lists or what we look forward to or what we predict or like give it a year in review to talk about what stuff has come out over the last year or so. My goal has consistently been to put together about like 10 episodes a quarter, which I know seems like a odd goal, but um, it's more or less comes out to about three to four episodes a month. And that kind of depends on the month too. Like um, a month like June, for instance, with Dub Dub, that's always going to be like four episodes, like an episode per week easily. Um, the most I might, the shortest amount of time I might do in between episodes is five days. Um, but when we have a month like August, for instance, here, um, I'm planning on doing an episode every two weeks um, because it's kind of a quiet month and, you know, I want a break and a lot of people are on vacation. So I don't feel the need to like necessarily put out a lot of episodes when it isn't really a, a big time of year. So what's nice about this show, though, is I've avoided trying to be a news podcast. And so that means that uh, I don't 
feel like the need to stay up to date right away. And that gives me a lot of flexibility as far as recording the, the span of time between recording and publishing an episode. That's really helped me in a lot of ways. Um, so typically what I'll do is I, I have a topic idea first or a guest. And I try to find ways that the two of those line up properly. Uh, so if there's somebody I, I've been reading a lot lately, uh, their blog articles, and they've been talking about a topic that I'm interested in, that's a great opportunity for me to reach out and see if they'd be interested. Uh, I reach out to them on, uh, you know, AIM or ICQ. <laughs> no, Twitter, email, Slack, whatever. So honestly, uh, which of those did you actually use back in the day? Uh, I used AIM. Okay. I mean, uh, Do you have a MySpace? No, I never had a MySpace. Okay. MySpace came at the right time for me to be able to avoid it, so no. I never had a MySpace. I did use ICQ a bit in middle school. That was big with nerds. And then AIM, maybe? Yeah. I didn't. I was not a heavy user of either one. But. So I'm a heavy user of Slack and Twitter uh, to get a hold of my guests. I still never use Slack. Uh, yeah, it's because you're a Microsoft Teams person. <laughs> I feel sorry. So, uh, like I said, we've moved over to doing video more, um, which honestly hasn't added that much more time. Uh, last year, we talked about the whole conference video thing. I've become more and more knowledgeable in making video with Final Cut Pro. So that has helped a lot. And I've pretty much come up with like a template for making the videos. Um, this one obviously will be edited more, but, um, and if you've watched the videos before, you know, it's basically the unedited audio, um, with some better sound, uh, than the typical, uh, podcasts, which are much more edited down and much more tight. So, um, I think it's, it's been fantastic putting the video out. It's been popular. So I'm looking forward to continuing that, that venture. So your audio file that you post is a bit different than the video file you post? Yeah. That makes it a lot easier because... Sense, I guess I just never thought of that. Because if I edit the audio, like... The, like yes, when you're editing video, you have to deal with transitions between cuts. Yeah. Um, but with editing the audio, um, you know, you don't have to deal with that. So it's kind of transparent to the audience. So rather than dealing with those cuts in video, we just pretty much put up um, like the unedited audio with our videos they're they're edited a little bit um but not but not nearly as much because i just don't have the time to do that and come up with clever transitions between each audio edit and uh and um so yeah did i answer that question you had before oh yeah we can circle back to that now that you've talked a little bit about how you um create your episodes so i mean the bulk of your episodes have been with you as the interviewer um did you just wing it at first? How did you know, like, how to be an interviewer? Did you... Well, I took the Toastmaster course on interviewing. Did you really? Yeah, man, did I did like Toastmasters. Yeah, think... yeah. Uh, but I think, like, the difference becomes, um, I think, <sighs> the difference is that I have to, like, do some research before doing an episode with a guest. And I have to make sure that, like, I know what they know. Um, but also I know, um, what they really want to talk about and kind of emphasize that. So that, that comes, becomes a part of it, but also as a developer, like I know some of the challenges of a certain APIs and methods and patterns and practices. 
So I can take advantage of that to know, like, what are some of the friction points that a lot of developers have, whether it's, like, I don't know how to use Git properly, or working with Objective-C and Swift is really hard, or, or something like that, or Xcode's a pain in the butt. Like, I know how to address that. I know how to be the audience in that those instances, so that makes it easier. Did that answer the question? Yeah. Uh... Have there ever there been any topics that you had very little background on that you had to prep a lot more for, or are all of them ones you you know enough? And then what do you do? Read some blog posts of your guests, or do you have a chat with them in advance to kind of get an idea of what? So if it's a topic, I think it's easier when it's a topic I know little about because then I, my questions can be more dumb. They can be very open-ended, <laughs> yeah. Right. Whereas if it's a question, if it's a topic I know a lot about, I feel like I can be like a nagging um, uh, backseat driver to the guest. <laughs> and so I have to be careful about like, you know, no, no, no. Actually, did you know that you could do this? And I, like, yeah, I have to be okay. careful about that. So right now, I think, is a really good opportunity to talk about kind of like how my year has gone and how the show has gone and kind of where I think things are headed. I'll start off by saying, like, at the end of 2019, I pretty much had decided that uh, where I wanted to focus and where I wanted to step away from. Um, if you watched the previous episode with Donnie, you know, like, by the end of 2019, I'm like, this is a waste of my time. Why am I doing this stuff? <laughs> and then, like, 2020 rolled around, and it's like, okay, good. Good timing, Leo. You picked the right time to stop going out and meeting people, because it wasn't <laughs> worth it anyways. And then, of course, uh, the virus hit <laughs> in March of 2020, so that pretty much uh, nixed any opportunity anyways to do local networking. And I really wanted to focus a lot on this podcast uh, as well as kind of making, reaching out and building a bigger network. Um, obviously, COVID had a lot of challenges. I think a lot of people had difficult challenges, uh, including health. Uh, thank God we were pretty blessed. We didn't have to deal with any of that, those kind of challenges. Um, and it did financially hit me, but in a lot of ways, I think uh, we we're better off than most, most of our friends. If there was any big challenge we had to deal with, was just the the kids being home all the time and uh, doing schooling from home. I think that was the biggest challenge, honestly, uh, than anything else. Yeah, you went from uh, working at home for years before COVID by yourself in the house to having <laughs> a wife and five kids, a wife working at home also and five yes. kids at home. It was uh, not your usual peaceful work environment. Yes, so <laughs> I've been. If you watched the episode I did with Jacob, like I've been doing remote work for 10 years pretty much and so um i wasn't too worried about i was used to that what i wasn't used to is like betsy said uh is just pretty much um like everybody being home all the time um and that's been my biggest adjustment and finding that time to concentrate luckily um when things opened up a little bit like we have relatives in the area so that helps um get the kids out of the house for a day or so and then in the fall, we had in-school learning, and our kids' school has just been absolutely fantastic, and it's been going great. So with 2021, I kind of wanted to do the same thing that I had been doing uh, in 2020, uh, since I had worked out so well, and I really didn't know how much things would open up. 
Um, I actually picked up a new contract in February and March. That's still going strong, and that's a really great team. I love working on that one. And then uh, through my work on Heart Twitch, I had picked up uh, another uh, partnership, I guess you could say, uh, with an app called GB. And what they do is they're doing online fitness classes uh, where you can share your heart rate, uh, kind of similar, obviously, to Heart Twitch in a lot of ways. And that's gone fantastic. It's actually uh, just been released to the App Store this week. Uh, you should check it out. It's free. Um, but there's a lot of good stuff there as well. So this year had gone really well, and then in May uh, there was a fire at my dad's house. Um, uh, really, really, just not—I don't want to say destroyed, but uh, damaged pretty bad. Uh, luckily, he he made it out alive. He's doing fantastic. Um, <clears throat> his dog woke him up. I think that that helped a lot. Uh, him getting out, and so I've been. My family's kind of been dealing with that stress. And uh, the bureaucratic nightmare of that and getting that up and going, getting the, the house uh, fixed up so we can move back in, finding a temporary place for him to live. Um, so we've been dealing with that. And then, uh, like I said, our, our family had never dealt with COVID. Um, but unfortunately, uh, a few weeks ago, my uh, eldest daughter uh, came down with COVID. And that's, uh, that's just been another stressor dealing with that and isolation and everything. She's doing okay now. She's fantastic. Um, but we did have to deal with a few days of fever and her being isolated in a room with my iPad watching stuff. So that's that's kind of been the big stressors right now. Uh, Betsy, you had COVID for a few days too. Um, luckily, you're half vaccinated, so it wasn't as bad, but still um, dealing with that. And now, you know. Yeah, it's about a week of sickness with the two of us and the other kids have pretty mild symptoms, but we've been quarantining yeah. you know, in total for... Almost three weeks now. Just it brought back fond memories of March of 2020. Yeah. Not fond yeah. memories. No. Home, no one yeah. can go anywhere, you know. Right. Trying to keep the kids busy with stuff. Lots of screen time for them. <laughs> so that's been 2021 so far. So kind of like, I think now is a good opportunity to talk about like what my plans are for, for the rest of the year. Um, like I said, I pretty much had planned on 10 episodes, a, a quarter, and that had worked out uh, pretty well. But I don't, um, I don't want to feel that burden to constantly put out episodes uh, at that rate. And then, uh, like I had mentioned in a previous episode, we have baby number six coming in November, so I know that's going to be a big deal uh, for us in dealing with uh, the new new bundle of joy. And so, uh, a big part of that is going to be me um, kind of putting fewer episodes out, especially in the fourth quarter. Um, so what I'm probably going to end up doing is going down back to two episodes per month, um, starting with fourth quarter and then possibly first quarter of 2022. We'll see how that goes. Um, but that's kind of my intention at this point. Um, I, I, I don't want to be in a position of trying to constantly put out episodes, um, quantity wise i'd rather focus on quality anyways and i think this is a, a great opportunity to focus on that and not just put out episodes to put out episodes but really focusing on topics maybe even making them a little bit longer we'll see how that goes so that's kind of my plan right now is kind of switching from the 10 episodes per quarter to six episodes or per quarter or two episodes per month depending on how how you think about it <laughs> and we don't you know i can schedule those recordings earlier and and put them out later so yeah. hopefully you won't you won't notice that 
So I think now is a good time to talk about the last 50 episodes. I don't want to talk about all 100 episodes because we already did a 50 episode extravaganza. So I think now is a good time to cover the last 49 episodes, I guess, and talk about what what has been written really popular and what I see are some trends um, as far as development topics on the show. Um, I've got my handy little list right here. So... um, First of all, I want to thank folks who filled out the survey. That was super helpful. Trust me, you don't know how helpful that is for me to know what you uh, really enjoy and like about the show. I loved that I'd asked, uh, how do you feel about the quality of the show? Has it improved or not improved over the last, um, whatever, two years or year? And everybody's consistently said that the show quality has improved. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Okay, yeah, so SwiftUI and functional programming seems to be a really popular topic. Uh, People in the survey specifically said they want to hear more about it. Uh, We did two really great episodes on that. Um, Well, we've done a lot of episodes on SwiftUI. Um, Everybody from Jason uh, Anderson talking about reactive programming. Back when it was first revealed, we have uh, Majid on those two episodes, who's a really prolific author in that space. So if you're going to build a new app today, how would you explain to a business why or why not they should build their app in SwiftUI? Uh, You can really build an app in SwiftUI in a very fast way. Yeah. So actually, you can iterate it very fast. But there is some problems that uh, it's learning curve because it's really hard to for developers uh, change it change the mind from UI kit to Swift UI, yeah, because it's completely different way. And in terms of business, it's there is some users behind iOS 13 or 13, right? Yeah, so, so paying users, <laughs> and right? It's really hard to forget about them. Yeah, I've heard some download numbers. Some of the numbers are like twelve percent, ten percent are still on iOS twelve. Like that's a that's a decent chunk of your audience, if that's the case. Yeah, actually, it's a huge audience. Now, for me, as uh, indie developer, it's really easy because I I don't have enough time or money to support all the variation of iOS, and yeah. I every time support just the latest one. But in terms of business, it's really hard to. Uh, forget about the, all the users that behind the Swift UI. Um, we had Donnie on talking about Combine. and um, But recently we've had a really good episode with um, Daniel Steinberg and his talking about his book on functional programming. What's cool about FlatMap isn't just that you're unwrapping it one level, which is what a lot of people focus on because a lot of people learn it in the context of Array. What's cool about it in the case of Optional is... In a map, I have a function, say, from string to int. And when I apply it to an optional string, nils map to nil and non-nils map to whatever you get when you apply that function. Mm-hmm. But with flat map, nils map to nil, and because you're applying a function that takes a string and, and gives you an optional int, you can also end up with a nil from your actual value. Right, exactly. What flat map does that map doesn't is it takes into account your current context. Right. So map, you're lifted up into that world and you just apply the function in flat map. So 
let me say that differently. With map, I can use the same function from string to int and map it into the world of arrays or optionals or result or whatever. In flat map, my function must know about the world it's entering because it must be a function from string to optional int or string to an array of ints or string. It must be a function into that world. So in a way, flat map already has knowledge of the world that it's working with. Some really great advice on that episode that uh, I think is super helpful. I'm a bit, I've become a big fan of functional programming and the idea of using passing in functions as parameters of functions and mapping uh, data and values and relationships there has been uh, a real popular thing for me, um, especially with Combine. And then, of course, most recently we did that episode with Marin um, and talking about uh, Combine and its relationship with async and all the new async and await stuff. The reactive style fits very well with using async sequence and async stream because you have exactly the same language as with with the classic reactive frameworks, right? Um, with the, with the with the uh, with the stream specifically, as I said, you have throwing an error, completing or yielding a value, which is exactly the same contract that you make with Arcs or Combine. So I was just playing like really quickly because I just got back from vacation. I didn't have much time. Uh, this, disclaimer, disclaimer. But I was just playing with this like yesterday and the day before and i already have like a, a little combined operator that transforms a publisher straight into an asic sequence um just because it is like 20 lines of code just because yeah. it's the same is the same contract you right. just need to you know convert from um you know the sync into into uh, basically using the continuation in your async stream which hopefully we can use sooner than later because you need a really new operating system in a Mac to do it uh, on the latest versions. I think that's been going to be the big burden on that new API um, because in the real world, not everybody is installing the latest OS. So um, otherwise, like I think async and await, and I think Swift UI is definitely the future. I think combined will still have a place like we talked about in that episode with Marin, uh, especially when it comes with complex uh, relationships and, updating the UI accordingly. And so I'm really looking forward to continuing to talk about Swift UI and functional program and all that stuff. And I think there's, there's a big place for that. All right, what's next on the list? Second, uh, large complex apps, patterns and practices, DevOps. Yeah. So I, this was a big topic and for a podcast where I've tried to focus on higher level um, stuff, I think this is kind of the sweet spot for us. Um, I think that I want to talk a bit more about like real world development uh, for large teams and what are the biggest points of friction that developers have uh, really building apps and not just like, like, Functional programming and Swift UI, those are really great and those are fun to talk about, but they're only tools. It's more to me like what are the patterns and practices that are going to help uh, development teams get their apps out in a healthy manner to like help their business? Because that's really what it comes down to. Um, we had a really great episode with Joe Fasevich, uh from Twitter talking about how they do stuff and how they uh, maintain really good quality on their app. I think it's the... The world is really complex, right? And people have their own ways that they view the world and are trying to 
take that viewpoint and articulate it through their belief about a product. And those viewpoints, those moralities, those beliefs, they're all actually correct. I think the complexity lies in the fact that they're all correct, but they can't all be correct at the same time. So I care about two things more than I care about most things on Twitter. I care about misinformation and abuse. So oftentimes we'll build a feature that aims to solve a problem around abuse, right? So if you're like an underrepresented person, you may get harassed on the platform. We want to give you the tools to protect yourself in that regard. But if someone, for example, a position in a person in a high position of power, if they use it, they can actually use that same tool to hide dissent and thus spread misinformation. So there's never going to be a one-size-fits-all solution. And the way that we build and approach building products is by building lots of little tools that give people the power to leverage them when they're needed while staying accountable, for example, for public figures. And the real difficulty, or I would say the real quote-unquote misunderstanding, is that when we ship one of these tools, people who view the world differently than what we're trying to solve will oftentimes try and say, ah, well, you didn't consider this. And the truth is we did consider it. We just have a lot of conflicting, competing, and important interests that we have to keep in balance. So it's very hard to reflect one person's worldview or even many people's worldview through a service completely. There's the uh, episode with Christina Moulton talking about testing, software testing, which really opened my eyes. I really appreciated Christina coming on because um, I know a lot about unit testing. We had that great episode from those two uh, folks from Winderlich talking about unit testing and test-driven development. But for me, like, I also want to hear about um, not just test-driven development, but the other ways we can do software testing as well. I've certainly seen people use integration testing as kind of almost higher-level unit tests that pull together bigger systems and are written in a more behavioral way. So on this screen, the user takes this action, and these are the results. So it's not one tiny little niche unit test. It's something that encompasses uh, several components. That second group of topics seem like things that might be somewhat accessible for me as a non-developer. You know, I don't know. I haven't listened to those episodes, but... Right, and I think that's why it's like a sweet spot for the show because um, I think that too often like a tech show can really get into the weeds of things and I want to focus more on people who manage developers or work with developers than necessarily developers themselves. And I mean that's the I mean that's the challenge is communicating technical things to a non-technical audience. I mean being able to bridge that divide between the technical side and and management and people who need to make the business decisions. I mean I think that is very challenging and always something that's needed. Right. So hopefully I provide those kind of episodes um, there. It's your survey, then that's your survey. People wanted more of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one of the things. And then DevOps, which kind of gets a little bit technical. And we had that episode that I really enjoyed uh, with Jared talking about um, DevOps, well, automating stuff, right? Um, and that was really uh, that was really a fun episode. I think the the big thing that I've used, like I mentioned before, is is make files. And make files are like this kind of product of the older era and older generation to do build systems. And all of my commands start with phony at the top. This is another trick I learned at Lyft. But you can use these commands where you do type make and then they call them rules, make and then some rule and then a colon. And then you just got like a little script you can embed in line. 
to call other scripts, to call other tools, and everything after the colon on the same line are other rules that make will invoke to before actually calling your script. So for instance, to make our project through Tuist uh, at Zulily, we have a command called make project. And that will then ensure that stuff like Tuist is installed and configured properly. We have a, a follow-up script that's written in Swift SH. So I make sure that Swift SH is installed and configured. And that way, once you get to the part where you're generating your project and running your cleanup script, everything is already done for you. You can chain those those commands together to make some really powerful automations. And it's really nice. So, um, but that gets really technical, which I'm passionate about automating stuff because I think people make mistakes all the time. And <laughs> if a computer can do it for me, I'd appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I think that if we can continue reaching out to that audience, I think it's going to be beneficial to them and to the show. All right, so what's next on the list? Is server-side Swift. So I'm surprised that people really like this topic. I enjoy uh, talking about it. I enjoy having folks like Tim and Tibor on talking about server-side Swift. I think it's going places. It's not going to happen overnight, but I think it's going to continue to grow. So I've been basically full-time server-side Swift now for two years, maybe two years. It goes very quickly. (laughs) And certainly when I initially started, things were very quiet and trying to convince people that server-side Swift was a viable option and definitely production-ready in in air quotes was a bit of a challenge to start with. but certainly over the like last year or so, definitely, the questions have gone from, is it ready, to how do I do it? I don't find clients asking anymore if, is it going to be okay to host my site? Um, I think most of the concerns now are around recruiting developers for server-side Swift mm, okay. because people are really interested to do it, but they're worried about, can they get the number of developers to be able to keep it up as, as they grow, which is a great place to be because it means there's demand there for people building server-side Swift applications, which means that jobs are going to start coming, which means that there's going to be a pool of developers. And because lots of people already know Swift, finding developers isn't actually going to be that difficult. Um, and I found that myself, like I'm currently recruiting myself and I had 50 people for a single job post, uh, which is awesome to see. Um, and it means there's a both demand out there for developers and also a pool of developers to tap into. Um, we have support from Apple, uh, especially with Swift Package Manager, and they obviously are continuing work on that. So um, I think it's always going to be something I'm going to want to talk about and help folks build full-stack Swift applications. And I think that Swift on the server has has certainly a future, whether that's AWS or Vapor or Hummingbird or Smoke or some other framework that comes out there. Um, Tim had a really great episode recently where we talked about you know, the growth of uh, Swift on the server. And I think that'll continue uh, over the next next year, year, uh, year and a half or so. What's next? All right, number four, marketing apps. That's like how to market your app. Yeah. Apps that are for marketing. So I think that... Let me look at that list again. Third-party APIs and App Store review guidelines. App Store review guidelines is how to, like, you know, so, market your app. 
what I what I remember from the survey is there is a large part of my crowd that listens to the show that do indie apps. Um, and I think that I'd like to continue to cater that crowd because I think, A, I think it's a great audience and I'm an indie app developer myself. But also, B, I think that there are some patterns and practices that bigger companies can learn from indie app developers that... Um, that would be beneficial. I think that there's some stuff that indies do. Um, we had, we've had Jordan on talking about his, uh, spend stack app we've had, and he's got some great books out. Um, we've had, um, Christian who's famous for, uh, Apollo and that's been really good. And then, um, we had a really great, uh, episode with Pavel, who's, uh, kind of a beginner in that space, but I think he brings a lot, um, of just kind of, outsider view on the whole app store review process and that's been a big news story and a big big deal for the last you know year or so at least since may it made me realize how important it is for apple to make sure they don't do anything that crosses the line legally and he talks about how like apple has been uh, very painstakingly like certain and careful about what they do with their own watch faces precisely because they don't want to mess with Apple legal. And I think gives you some perspective about how Apple looks at even your apps in their app store and how you don't want to cross those paths. Yeah. I think that Apple with how it's big, it's can be a target for suing it for many things. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. So they, and sued for big money. For example, yeah. So yep. uh, their legal department uh, keeps everything very strict because of that. I think that they do not want to have been sued because of some devs issue or using by any dev uh, illegal content. So yep. I think this is the thing why they are very strict with these uh, legal content issues. Yeah. And I think it'll continue to be because um, I think that's one of the hardest challenges, at least for me, is like being worried that my app, no matter how much it follows the guidelines, can be taken off the app store. And um, just trying to be be careful of that um, constantly. And um, there's just some really good guidance in those episodes. And I hope to continue talking about that because I think even large companies worry about that as well and running into those issues. So this is kind of similar to that other one on large teams. And I think that there's a lot of developers who want to um, get promotions, right? And I think that having episodes to help folks, either when they do interviewing, like we did uh, with Kim recently. We decided to go with a code pairing challenge. So I, I think I can dive into this because we're done hiring on my team for right now. <laughs> You know, don't want to give too much away, but um, <laughs> in, instead of having this code test and, and seeing the basic knowledge that they have, and I mean, people claim that they can see problem solving through these, we decided to do a code pairing challenge. So we have a basic iOS app set up. It was completely blank. There were some data sets in it, but outside of that, it was completely blank, completely new. The candidate is welcome to use whatever they're comfortable in. So off the bat, you're setting them up for success, right? 
You say you can use storyboards, you can use UI kit, you can use Swift UI, use whatever you would normally use to develop this app. And basically, we just go through steps of building a simple app. Nothing crazy. The milestones that we are expecting you to hit change based off of your experience level. So, you know, somebody more senior, we would expect clean your code out of them, maybe some thought behind some architecture patterns, things like that, right? But we're not expecting like this whole full-fledged app. So the primary thing that we're looking to get out of this is how do you talk to us? right? Can you talk through problems with us? Can you take our suggestions? Can you iterate on things, take feedback? Can you give us your thoughts if you disagree? So it's more on the people side of it, even though we are diving into code. I just generally don't much care how you code, right? Anybody can learn anything as long as they're willing. Uh, or with doing remote work or managing a team. I uh, With Peter, we've done that, those episodes as well. I think that's been really helpful to a lot of my audience in helping grow their career, but also to help those managers and CTOs be able to understand how to help their employees. Uh, you know, I don't know, how do you put it? Get better at Develop their job. Themselves. Yes, thank you. And so I think uh, that's that's what I hope to continue doing as well. That's probably the biggest wild card out of that five, that list of five. We've gone over that list. I think I want to just kind of go over where what topics I want to cover on the show in the future and maybe some blind spots. Um, AR, I think, is something I want to talk about, but also something I find really hard to talk about on a podcast but I would like to touch on it. I always love talking about dev tools and um, I've, I've done one episode with Sven on Swift package manager and the Swift package index. I would love to do another episode on Swift packages because I love talking about that. I've did a talk this year. So obviously it's Swift heroes. So obviously it's something I want to continue talking about. We'll probably keep touching on the async wait stuff because I think there's a lot there. Mm. Testing. I think testing is going to be important and continuing to be important over the next next year or so. Um, and then I think like networking stuff and dealing with networking issues. I think core data is going to continue to be a big deal and having some sort of local storage stuff. And just thinking about the stuff that came out at WWC, I'll be interested to see how group play and the whole share play stuff grows. Um, and, you know, I'll definitely be talking about Xcode Cloud and uh, Doxy, which I've really jumped into lately. So thank you so much for joining me for this episode, really special episode. I hope I gave you some good insight on on the show and where it's headed. Um, it's been fantastic doing these, these hundred episodes, and thank you so much for joining me on this journey. I... Uh, I really can't thank you enough. This has been fun. I like doing this. This has been one of the highlights of my week is talking to really fantastic people and meeting folks like you out there. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for your support. Um, I also want to thank Teresa who helped me start this show and Eric who kind of helped me get into uh, doing the podcasts. And I think those folks have been super helpful and supportive in uh, the work when I first started off the show. I want to thank the plethora of guests that have been on this show. 
uh, everyone from beginners to po folks with pro prolific blogs and uh, articles and even folks who've worked at Apple or, or do work at Apple. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Your expertise always amazes me and is uh, super helpful. Um, who else do I want to thank? Well, thank you for having me on. Well, thank you, honey. Today. <laughs> so, fun. you can't do the show without, uh, I said that in the last episode, but without having a partner who's super supportive. So, Thank you, honey, for uh, being super supportive of me and the show and finding the time to record these episodes and have the kids hauled up in the basement while they watch. We have a nice finished basement. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but the having... TV's down there. They watch movies if we need to keep it really quiet if we can't arrange other somewhere else for them to be during recording. <laughs> we have to say that. They have a Switch downstairs. They have Disney+. Plus. They're, they're fine. Um... But they're adorable and fantastic, and you do a great job uh, helping me raise this wonderful family. So thank you so much. Aww. I love you. Now we're making it all gushy at the end. It is gushy. <laughs> um, and thank you. Um, yeah, keep in touch. I'm looking forward to putting out the next episode. I'm going to have, um, so I'm turning 40 today. That's the other big deal. And uh, so it's really a good time for me to be reflective, and I'm glad to put this episode out today. Uh, to kind of give you give you my reflections on this show. Um, we're going to have, uh, the next episode will be out. I'll have uh, Stuart Lynch on, uh, who uh, can even provide more wisdom. He's going to be awesome. If you haven't checked out his YouTube channel, check it out in the show notes. Uh, but we're going to be talking about how to learn new stuff and how to stay up to date. And I think uh, he has a background in education and he obviously really does a good job with his YouTube channel. So you'll definitely want to check that out in episode 101. Um, yeah, like I said, I have episodes scheduled out till the end of September. And assuming that Apple can get some like actual chips, maybe we'll have another new iPhone this year. <laughs> we'll see. Um, and we'll be talking about that as well. So thank you so much for, for watching this episode or listening on, uh, your podcast player. Please take some time to like and subscribe. If this is YouTube or post a review, if this is a podcast. If you have any questions or any topics you want me to cover, please DM me, email me, and I look forward to hearing you back. And I look forward to seeing you in the next, uh, talking to you in the next hundred episodes. Bye-bye. What's up, Hambo? I guess Father and everyone. See? Look who she catches. That's pretty cool. A fat. There's also another one she catches. Did she? This one. Let me see. Well, that's pretty cool. I'm going to record something real quick, okay? All right, we'll lock the door. Thanks, bud. Hey, thank you for showing me.
really good guests to come on and talk about all sorts of topics that I think they're really knowledgeable, knowledgeable, let me try that again. They're really knowledgeable, let me try it again. Don't laugh. Knowledgeable, knowledgeable, why do I do that? You're overthinking. <laughs> knowledgeable. There, there you go. go.